You're listening to Build for Impact, brought to you by MarketScale, with your host, Daniel Heward. Good morning, everyone, or I should say good day, everyone. Uh, my name's Daniel Heward. I'm the host of Build for Impact, and I'm really thrilled that today our guest is a really good approaching 10-year friend, Anthony Guerrero. Anthony is the Chief Real Estate and Sustainability Officer at Natural Resources Defense Council. Anthony's located at their office in New York City, and Anthony leads the development of sustainability strategies for their core operations. Big focus on triple bottom line, big focus on social equity, sustaining the environment, and also financial viability. He puts into practice the principles of living building challenge and, and has applied those, those practices and principles to virtually everything facility and operations for NRDC globally. And, and you know, under Anthony's leadership, the NRDC uh, did the very first tenant improvement living building challenge pedal certification project in Chicago and, and then did another one in Beijing uh, to follow it. And then, you know, he's pursued these certifications for their offices globally and instilled all that stuff in. And I, I'm going to say one more thing on that one in part of this very long intro to Anthony, you know, the Living Building Challenge is the most stringent green building rating system on the planet. And and to get a whole organization of several hundred people to fall into being able to not only uh, adapt, but succeed using the Living Building Challenge is really amazing. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Daniel. I, I, uh... Or should I say good afternoon? Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Good afternoon. Um, hey, I'm really flattered the way you introed me. I, I, um, I feel like you're my hype man. I, I, I'm all, I'm all hyped up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and and uh, before the pandemic in 2020 really hit home and 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 you know shook everything we did to its core, uh, the beginning of that week on the second of March, and I don't expect you to remember the date. I got a chance to to uh, meet with you and talk with you. Um, over a couple of cups of coffee uh, on that morning and and just talk about uh, some of the things Living Building Challenge uh, that were going on because you're a member of their board and, and also a whole bunch of other stuff ranging from equity and inclusion to green building practices to material transparency to how your boys were and how my family was. So, you know, we go, we go back uh, quite a ways in our um, congenial professionalism uh and it's almost I, I i like to refer to it as as a fraternal approach amongst us so you know one of the things that that we know anthony you you've always rolled up shirt sleeves and applied you know the best ofs to to what you're doing and you know when we start down the path of of my pillars for the uh, build for impact uh, the first one being sustainability you know, obviously doing living building challenge stuff, you're not only doing sustainability, you're you're exceeding and going to restorative. But I, I don't think I've ever asked you what what brought you to sustainability or where your start in sustainability came from. So so please share that with me and our audience this morning as well. Wow, Daniel, I, I not I don't always get that question. I'm um I, I gotta think about that a little bit. You know, um, I got into sustainability when I joined NRDC, and I had not thought about uh, our environment as profoundly and, and the impact that um, you know that we're having on this earth 
in an, in an adverse way. Uh, I hadn't thought twice about it, honestly, until I, I um, started at NRDC and, and the, you know, a few things, a few kind of amazing things happened. Um, I mean, I, I remember a moment when I was uh, picking up a cop, um, a cop, a uh, piece of paper, you know, a copy from a copier. And I just happened to see a brief uh, that had just gotten printed out onto the copier. And um, it, it was talking about all the toxic, um, toxic ingredients that are in, um, I think it was in a, in um, fire retardant, you know, and, and how, da- how dangerous it was. And, and there was, and I, I was, shocked um you know i hadn't thought much about it and and here was this brief that just went into great depth uh about that and 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 then you know at nrdc even back then when i when i joined we had a very rigorous way of um way of um throwing away our trash you know in the kitchen in the pantry and and it was (laughs) was really interesting because when i i was just there as a temp and I went into the kitchen. There's like four different places where you had to throw out your garbage. And it was so overwhelming that I ended up just putting my trash in my pocket because I didn't want to get fired, you know, and I got home and threw it away in my one single uh, trash can. But, you know, it was an education piece. Uh, I was getting indoctrinated on on our impacts to the world. Uh, the, the most important thing, though, that, that hit home for me is that um, I came from uh, meager, meager means, so to speak, you know, um, our, our, my family, my mother didn't have a lot of money. She was working to, to, to two jobs and, um, you know, I was the oldest of the family and we, we, we lived in what I now know to be a you know food desert where I would go track down, go to the local circle K, get some, get some Cheerios and milk. And that would be our, my siblings and I's breakfast and uh, probably lunch. And this was in Colorado. And so, you know, in winter, our drafty house, you know, apartment um, was built inefficiently. And and we had to make decisions, tough ones about whether we were going to heat the house or if we were going to, you know, purchase groceries. And I never related that to environmental issues, issues, our, you know, climate justice, social justice. And, uh, but then as I learned more at NRDC, I realized that those issues are also part of the uh, issues of our planet and, you know, part of the environmental movement. And that's when I was fully invested in, in trying to do the best I can for the, for the earth. I, I liked a lot of the stuff that you just touched down on in, in, you know, you, as soon as you said food desert, you made me think of my pal, Stephen Ritz, who founded the green Bronx machine. Uh, and, and he brought that, that whole component of growing things, growing vegetables into the classroom and built a curriculum around it. And, and it's been so successful that he's rolled that out in a big way. And I let him know that the stuff he did, was completely aligned with, you know, what we do in Living Building Challenge to make sure that we have a connection to not only biophilia, but the ability to grow food, uh, you know, on or near our projects uh, using scale jumping. So I, I think that was really awesome how you shared that. 
including the, the really impactful stuff around climate justice and social justice. Yeah, you know, with equity, if if, if we have equity, we, we have less climate crisis. I mean, we wouldn't have a climate crisis if we were having, if we were more equitable to our, um, if we were more equitable, period. And, and so I, th- I think it's a huge part of this whole solution. I, I couldn't agree more, pal. I could not agree more. Um, you know, I'm looking back, and, and I know that you did that first uh, interiors change about for uh, for NRDC in Chicago, and you know what what kind of came about, and and you know, obviously our exposure to stuff that resonates with us personally uh, really helps. What uh, how how tough was it to convince NRDC? to go about doing that? And, and what, what were your initial goals when you took that project on? Hmm. You know, it's, I, I work with the team of uh, our organization of pragmatists, scientists, and attorneys. So um, if you come with a very smart, very put together and um, perspective and um, solution, I think you get buy-in fairly easily. But, but, you know, you have to show the evidence and it has to be, um, uh, we, well, you have to show the evidence and be, be very thorough in your assessment. Um, we, we moved to deliver the rigors of the living building challenge for materials certification. Um, but that was, that was because it was an, uh, evolution from work that we did, uh, pre before that. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but in, in 2000, um, Eight, I think it was. Um, well, let's say 2008, but don't quote me on that. I think it might have been 2010. But we built um, an interior build-out in our New York office, and it actually was the highest-rated um, lead platinum interior build-out for version 2 um, in the world then. Uh, and then we built out our DC office, uh, in 2010, and we made that a lead platinum building as well. And in both those situations, um, our staff, who are very immersed in in these issues of of toxins in our materials and and in our uh, products, everyday products, they they would ask me about the materials that we were bringing into our spaces, and. Um, I realized that the breakers we were doing to uh, adhere to a lead scorecard was not as rigorous as the expectations of our staff. So I kept looking for a better way to to um, to ensure that we didn't have any any of the toxins that we are advocating against at NRDC in our material selection in our process at all, not just our material selection, but in, in the process as a whole. And then that's when actually uh, during our build out in Chicago, um, you know, I, you know, Eileen Quigley, she actually, she was, we were working together then she had uh, brought up the, the living building challenge, pedal certification for materials. Um, and we found that, that, that it's rigors were, far and above that what we were doing before we realized it was going to be extremely hard but um 
you know, it paid off. We did that work. Um, we, we didn't have a single concern from our staff that we, you know, we, we were, we had evolved to, to be actually more rigorous and more aggressive in our vetting of materials and the expectations of our staff. And that's, that's been the reason why ever since, and, you know, every project we do, we, we keep that in mind, or, or we use the material certification process. But actually, Daniel, we took it a step further. Um, we use the spirit of OBC in our daily operations because what I think people don't realize is that, I mean, you can build a build out, but in day one, it needs to be operated. People move in and it needs to operate. You bring in new things, you bring in new materials or, you know, products and stuff like that. Um, and you make small alter alterations and your, pro your project can quickly get, um, uh, out of alignment of the val original values. And so we, we operationalize that, the, you know, that rigor to ensure that anything we bring into our offices, our portfolio globally, um, is vetted by the same kind of, uh, rigor that we, we do in our construction, our build-outs. Let's transition to the next pillar, resiliency. And I, I know that your deep engagement in Living Building Challenge, you know, makes your dialogue about this, uh, you know, certainly easy when, uh, you know, when I already know your um, position and strong advocacy for climate justice. So your thoughts on, on resiliency? You know, I've been thinking a lot about resiliency right now, Daniel, because, um, you know, with COVID, with the pandemic, uh, my role really changed in an instant, uh, um, you know, a, um, I think in a matter of a, a few days, um, our ideas of rolling out portfolio wide um, in each of our offices, different strategies uh, just didn't make sense because we, we, pivoted to working all remotely closed offices and and now we're struggling with uh, not struggling we're planning out how we're going to move back into our offices what it feels like what we're going to be doing in those offices and what type of um space we're going to need for real estate and so resiliency for me is has been the idea of, of how we're going to operate our buildings now as we move in and post pandemic which um you know it's going to take a while i know there's a vaccine out there but um you know I, I think the moving back in and and normalizing operations to whatever the new the evolved normal is going to be is going to be you know a five ten year process so i think to me that's where i've been focused and i i think of that as resilience i know i have colleagues at nrdc who are looking at building resilience and from the standpoint of flooding and um, uh, electrification and, um, you know, the, the office, the built environment is, is changing dramatically in, in a lot of ways. So resiliency is, is uh, an important part. Did I, did I answer your question there, Daniel? Yeah, no, you gave me a, a huge variety of, of inputs in, in response, um, in, in really, I think you helped our audience realize that how broad resiliency is, you know, and, 
And it was great because uh, I, I had a talk with Jeff Allen. I'm not sure if you know Jeff. He's the founder of the Well Learning Library. Um, and, and he was saying, you know, he was so worried about, uh, you know, about talking about stuff. Uh, you know, he went and looked up the formal definition of resilience to be able to uh, adapt and respond, uh, you know, recover, uh, you know, after some external input, you know, changed your path. So how do we how do we get there? And I really like the fact that you focused on, you know, our response to the pandemic is a, is a matter of resiliency. If we don't have a, an effective pathway through that, then especially the stuff about, you know, learning um, is key. If we don't have that, then, then you know, we're potentially going to make the same mistakes all over again and have the same negative impacts hit us all over again. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with you, Daniel. I mean, if we we're planning, we're strategizing in NRDC. We're I'm listening to every podcast. I'm reading every. You know, we're doing everything we can to uh, basically predict the future, and that's that's hard work, right? It it makes my head explode sometimes at late at night when I'm trying to go to sleep, and I I'm dreaming about um, uh, building re- resiliency and our you know how we get. And anyways, <laughs> uh, what what I mean though is that if if we come back, we move back, and and we're in the same place that we were pre-pandemic, um, then I think we've missed a lot of opportunity. We're not you're not well planned for the next issue that's going to come along, which probably by all means will be something with the climate. Um, then we then you have problems, and so the the idea of you know planning for resiliency really takes on um, a lot of different meanings. You know, uh, um, I'll even just before COVID, um, I was dealing with uh, what it mean, meant to be a resilient building in uh, San Francisco and Santa Monica. We have two offices there, and you know those those um, the fires, the West Coast fires were. Um, extremely challenging for our staff. And so the idea of how we get work done, what is the office for during those moments was is is a thing that we processed as well, you know, in the sense that we are building so well built, so energy efficient, you know, with thermal comfort, the envelope was so well protected with the good indoor air quality. We actually ensured that if people didn't have a place to stay and if it was safe, they could come into the office to, um, you know, find refuge. So building can be a place of refuge as well and sanctums, you know, a place of refuge. And uh, and I, if you're thinking broadly about resiliency. I, I love that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a place of refuge and also, you know, sanctuary. Um, in, in really, you know, you go beyond simply sustainability when you start to incorporate those things. And that's one of the things, uh, you know, that I really love about the work that you've done with, with NRDC, you know, it's part of NRDC's, um, you know, overall culture, but you've managed to get that applied to the facilities you're in. And, you know, uh, let's not be labor transparency related to materials transparency, uh, because you did touch down on how important that was to you. Let's look at the other stuff in transparency that you just talked about, social justice. And, and how do we how do we impact social justice 
um, and equity, um, you know, when we're involved in the built environment. It's, in, it's interesting, Daniel. For for a while, I, I I've always been interested in um, social justice and equity, uh, being an uh, anti-racist. Um, well, being an anti-racist, right? And so, but you know, I, I never really until recently thought about it as a core function of our job uh, in the built environment. Um, you know, the built environment is is actually probably it is quite responsible for some of the uh, for a lot of the system systematic um, uh, oppression. You know that that's happened in terms of um, housing and stuff. But not getting. I, I don't want to get sidetracked. What I mean though is that uh, coming back to my profession, to our profession, ours, yours, and I's, Daniel, and, and everybody who's in the built environment, it's a very. Um, it's not a very diverse organization it's not a very diverse industry um and it um well it's not a diverse in industry and, and so at nrdc my the staff that i work with uh our team actually we've made great strides in being a div- diverse group of um people there's actually r- roughly 23 staff in my in my specific team uh, there's 17 staff people of color. Um, 15 of the staff are, are women, and actually, my senior management team is is all is all women. So we have a great gender ratio, people of color ratio, and and um, and I'm proud of that. And it actually, makes us uh, it is that that the ingredient for us to be highly effective at what we do and, and the work we're doing operationally and creating a, a sustainable operations for. NRDC, uh, which is, you know, what people might say. So we're being extremely successful at getting our work done. And it's because we've created an environment in management where people, our staff, our team feel safe, bringing their whole selves to uh, the, our group and that their perspectives will be heard and valued, uh, even if it's not the right uh perspective or it's not the perspective we ultimately choose in terms of all of our work and and so that's we've made great strides there we we mentor and develop our team uh daily which is important and then i also realize how much influence we have in uh in the in the partners we have in terms of partnering partnering with brokerage firms uh, and creating project management teams uh, and also architecture firms and requiring that the, that our partners also have a diverse uh, team when they work with us. And, and I think that's created a lot of, um, uh, it, it's, you know, it's helped us a lot in our work. Well, I think that what you, you really effectively articulated is that, you know, with inclusion, you become stronger, you know, and, and we can pick on the old white guys for, for a moment, you know, and you know, I'm Native American. So uh, even though I, you know, may appear to, to somebody as, uh, as the white guy with crazy hair, but um, the, the reality there is that without that, when, when we have all of those different 
sort of background and cultural um, impacts that that actually somebody can go back and look at and refer to to bring part of the solution. It's it's not a it's not a mono culture. It's it's a uh, you know I think it's a restorative culture because the you know the planet's made up with with a lot of different cultures. But you know what? We all we all uh, you know are on this one ecosphere, and and we have to be considerate of what what other perspectives there are to you know to make things work. I think you really well articulated that. Um, so much so that that let's move to uh, our last pillar, which is wellness. And, uh, just before we go, um, just before we move for that okay, pillar, sure. I, I um just wanted to like point out some examples of gender. Um, of so of diff- just great examples. Um, one is, you know, we our New York office. We we created a um a partnership uh, with On Four Solar to create a solar project in the Bronx, uh, and and that work, uh, that production, which which is on the uh, local grid in, on Con Ed in New York City. Um, produces our all our all of our electric energy for uh, the NRDC headquarters. Um, it actually overproduces right now because we're converting our um, combustion, you know, our, our biofuel um, heat into we're electrifying it. So it'll offset all of our it, it'll pr- that solar project will produce all of our um, uh, energy and. Um, um, you know, that work we, was, you know, it was brought to us by a, a junior intern, um, who had an idea, um, who felt uh, comfortable in her role as an intern, but part valued as a team to bring an idea, a new perspective into our, um, you know, planning. And we, we embraced that idea. And now it's, it's a core part of our, um, you know, being uh, net zero for our portfolio. It's probably the most important thing. Uh, when we decided in Chicago to move to, from, um, to do in addition to lead, uh, we doing the Living Building Challenge, you know, pedal certification, that was again from a perspective that was brought up to us from, uh, at that time, a very junior um, a young lady that, um, you know, learned about about uh this potential from just a seminar that a webinar that she had attended and she felt valued enough to bring that to us so you know to to the decision makers so creating a team that's diverse in background and and make ensuring that they feel part of the organization part of your team and that they're valued just brings immense innovation to the way you operate I really love the fact that NRDC, you know, you guys listen. It, you know, you know the 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 whole culture lets somebody have a, a you know a platform to share their thoughts, be included, and in, and really help help move everything you do forward. You know, so building a culture like that doesn't happen overnight. Yet you guys have done it very very effectively. Uh, and you know the the. Uh, equity stuff you know we need we need to continue having it in the discussion because you know obviously outside of what you and I do uh, other people in other places in the world 
aren't aren't really uh, as receptive, and, and and that's kind of a tragedy. Um, and I, I don't want to you know belabor that, um, but you know I'll give you a second if you need to uh, to sort of wrap up that that uh, the the points that you were making on transparency and social justice. You know, I think that that's my point is that um, I think that, uh, you know, it's great to be active and be an activist um, in your personal life. But if we all touch in any part of our work, there is a system of, um, I'll just call it oppression, that we have we have the ability, the power, influence, and privilege to um, see, look at, evaluate it, and, and make value, you know, good changes, make, um, make adjustments to help us, the, the planet move towards a more equitable future. I, I completely concur. Um, so let's transition wellness. to the, the, our last pillar, which is wellness. Um, and, and not that we're in a hurry to get there because I'm really enjoying our dialogue. The International Wellbuilding Institute looked at in a big way to the living building challenge to help inform uh, creating the you know the the uh, uh, the well building standard and you know also look to to lead uh, as well and you know did an inclusive thing in order to, to create the standard and I'm setting this all up uh, um, as you know my handoff back to you because you've been uh, displaying so many of those things. In, in what you did, you know, starting with with Chicago. Um, so your your thoughts on wellness and what can we do? What do we have to do? Man, that's another loaded question now, Daniel. Um, given given the the state of our lives in twenty twenty, right? And um, wellness is taking a also. You really have to think about it in in different ways too. You know, before the pandemic, um, that you know, I thought of. Wellness is um, ensuring that you democratized, you 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 got um, um, bio, you know, nature uh, accessible to everybody. Be it um, you know, indoor plants in specific areas, uh, views to the outside, good lighting, um, fitness, uh, and all those things are still extremely important. But now we're, you know, we're, you know, at least NRDC is not working in their offices. And so we're, we're now, we need to, it's not like our work on wellness didn't just stop there. Now we need to um, look on what wellness means for the organization to help people work in their homes. Ergonomically, stress-wise, how do we uh, create an environment that's uh, less stressful? Um because that's certain, that's a huge part of wellness, you know, our men, mental wellness. And uh, when we move back into our spaces, you know, this this idea of working remotely is not not going to go away. It's 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 um taken you know it's, it's gone light speed to um, evolve and is going to be a part big part of the normal operations of an organization. And so. Um, wellness is going to need to be thought of both in the office and at people's other working sites, be it at their home or in a co-working space that's easy to get to next to their home so they don't have to commute. Um, and how do we ensure that uh, people 
embrace the fact that uh, when they come into the office, they they better they 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 need to be healthy. You know, they 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 cannot be ill. Um, before all of this, you know, I know staff were trying to be heroes. They they'd have a cough or or feel sick in some way and still try to come into the office and get their work done. You know, because we're trying to save the planet here. Um, but we we were really not helping each other when you come into the office not feeling well. Um, and so, you know, our, our wellness strategy is going to be also to ensure that people who aren't feeling well feel comfortable enough and feel like they can get their job done at home away from other people's so they don't um, spread an infectious disease. Anthony, you touched down on, on so many things in, in, in that in that brief minute and a half or two minutes. Um, and I think one of the real key things that we need to look at is, you know, I think the, the, the old world control structure that people work for you and you set the rules, um, you know, has in 2020, it's been thrown on its ear. And, and, you know, we see studies that, you know, people who work remotely um, being more effective, you know, the, the, their output and their ability to do stuff. Um, as a as a score has actually gone up and, and i've seen numbers between seven and twelve percent which you know first caught me by a huge surprise but you know when we look at wellness as applied they're in an environment that they're much more comfortable in naturally because it's their home and they've got access to a bunch of stuff that that makes them feel comfortable so their productivity has gone up or their ability to do things has gone up I, I think where we, and, and you touched down on this as well, I think where we need to add some more focus is on when we when we do wellness stuff in the built environment, in an office space, for example, um, having that done in a manner where people can take that home and apply it there as well. So that, you know, so that they can gain a, a net benefit of both places so that, you know, the 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 uh, um, the culture is sort of really supported. Yeah, you know, Daniel, what what I what I've been learning about wellness is, um, I think people need to be careful with this the sweeping generalizations. You know, if, if there's a lot of surveys out there, and I I, I know I, I've read probably some of the the results that you're talking about. You know, of um, being more effective at home. But you know that's that's an aggregate of people's um, uh, responses, and I think it's the job of of the people on on site and in each in your specific locations to see what works best for the culture at the office location or or for the staff that you're you're responsible for. And what I mean by that is like you know mixed into that data that you had, Daniel, is that um, you know there are very young people who are just starting out in their career that would appreciate going into the office. Why? Because they, um, they're probably in an urban setting. They don't, you know, they have a roommate. They don't have a place to call their desk besides their bedroom. And, you know, they're, they're younger people who want to, um, socialize too at the same time. Are there, and there's also older people who, um, you know, want to get into the office because that's what they're used to. And they appreciate the, the, the switch, right? The mental shift of being in the office and not. So 
Uh, and then those people who are working successfully at home, they are being, they are improving their work, their heads down focus work. Uh, but there is also a yearning for um, social to be social with their colleagues, collaborative. And we, we need to create those environments too. So, so there, there's a lot of work to be done to create a truly successful remote work culture in an organization. And, and I think it starts with looking at your specific office locations. It's, it's, in my perspective, hard to make just general policies for global organizations. Anthony, I, what you shared is, you know, basically... Uh, if if we're empathetic and and not you know punitive towards our our coworkers if they're not feeling well you know let them work from home but I think the one thing that you touched down on and and that's that social impact the positive social impact of having a workplace and a workspace um, for for most people it, it works really good because you have a craving to connect and and. Uh, you, you know, like you said, if you're, you know, if you're on the top of a mountain in a cave, uh, you're, you know, you're excluded from the rest of society. So how do we, you know, how do we bridge that happy medium and, and make sure that we're doing the right thing to address a pandemic, but have the ability to socialize and, and actually do some fun stuff? You know, I'm not uh, a, a huge supporter of, uh, of organized sports one way or the other. You know, I sit on the fence on it, but at the same time, you know, people enjoy going to the ball game, um, and and we haven't been able to do that. You know, people enjoy getting together to go out and see a concert, or or a play, or or something of that nature, and we haven't been able to do that. In you know, this is the, you know, if we if we just count months, this is the tenth month. We you know, we started our isolation in, in March, and we're now in December. You know, um, I I think that in the in the big picture uh you, you know we certainly need to address the pandemic uh, I, but on the same token um let's make sure that we're cognizant of people's uh mental health and their situational health based on you know the fact that they've had to be locked up and, and isolated for so long so you know thank you for sharing how important that was and how important it is that we thrive to get a workplace that that is uh, um, understanding and collaborative at the same time. Yeah. You know, you're such a good moderator, Daniel. I, I, um, I love the way you <laughs> pull everything together. I feel like I'm just like throwing out a bunch of stuff in here. Like, here's what you really meant, Anthony. And this is how we frame it. And I, I'm not going to let my listeners um, really get confused, right? And you, you bring it back. There's some cohesion there. So I appreciate that. I, I love that. Um yeah, you know, I mean, I'll be, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that I would love to be at a live concert at some point. You know, I, I just missed that. And, um, you know, March, God, what was it? March 15th, my son and I were looking so forward to um, going to, to an XFL game here in New York. I'm not even, I'm not even a football fan, but I, I was just going to be excited about being with, my, my, you know, with my son one-on-one hanging out and you know being at the ball game as you said and that got shut down right you know it got canceled beforehand so it's just amazing and how how much of social animals we are you know that the human breed or you know humanity is there there needs to be social contact and so I, i think that's really interesting and needs to be thought of in wellness 
know, mental and, and physical wellness, uh, health and wellness, um, is being extremely important. And, and it is, I was just thinking, what is the workplace going to, why do you go to the workplace now? And I, I think that's an important question to answer that I, I don't have the answer yet because, um, you know, you can do heads down work now at home. Well, many of us are privileged to be able to do that. Some of us aren't. Um, and you could also go to a local co-working space, you know, that's near your, closer to your house, maybe. Or you can go to Starbucks. Or, you no, know, like you can go to your local coffee shop, right? You know, um, or, you know, there's many different places you can go. It's not, work doesn't have, the monopoly on broadband and office tools, right? And so why do people go to the office? Is figuring that out and um, refining that, I think is going to make the most successful workplaces for staff and, and the most sustainable spaces for staff as well. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we touched down on in, in putting this into perspective is we need the ability to to team, collaborate, and, and communicate in uh, and, and those things together are going to see us, you know, address this this current pandemic and be prepared for ones in the future. Well, did did you just come up with that or did you did you do you have that before? Well you inspired me, Anthony. <laughs> you're you're amazing, Daniel. That's again, great moderating. Say that again. It's it's um Yeah, we're we're you know, uh come together and collaborate. Um and and basically uh, you know, finding a means for communication so that we can succeed not only in this pandemic, but be prepared for future. Yeah, yeah. But what was, you said? Communicate, collaborate, and we'll yeah. we'll go back and <laughs> and and, uh, and and pull out the the soundbite, and and uh, you and I will trademark it, my friend. <laughs> it sounds good. So, um, you know, the the dialogue has been great. I, I, you know, I'm so appreciative every time you and I get a chance to talk, because you know, even if we're talking about the same subject, we learn. And, and I'm like a, a learning uh, machine, you know, pardon the the uh, uh, insult on machines, but I, I'd love to, you know, basically not just gain knowledge, but but get that experiential perspective in, in my dialogues with you are always that way. So, you know, I'm going to hand it back for any closing comments you may have uh, for our, our listeners. Thanks, Daniel. I don't you, you know, you got me. uh you know, we were saying about uh, machine learning. I mean, when when are we going to start talking about artificial intelligence and the what it's going to do to help us with this climate fight? Anyways, that's that's for a different topic, I think, a later date, right, Daniel? We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I, I'm game. Yeah, actually, we should actually, uh, you know, maybe perhaps get a panel together, you, myself, and uh, one or two others to to dialogue about it. Because as you know, I have deep experience in in building systems automations. Um, you know, from, from doing commissioning and envelope commissioning and all those other things. Um, so I think that's a future topic that, that maybe we do as a panel discussion. Yeah. I mean, the, the built environment and, you know, the relate, the building's relationship to energy, to electric vehicles, to, you know, just spark technologies is, um, I, you're right. I mean, that, that could be another two hour panel discussion with, with you moderating and, and leading the way, Daniel, that, that'd be great. Yeah, cool. I, I'm game to do it. I, I'm jotting it down right now. I uh, so so you asked for closing remarks. Is that um, 
what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think that um, a, a lot of people will talk to you about sustainability and, and the importance of efficiency and the importance of many different things. And, and I think what gets uh, uh, overlooked often is the importance of good, equitable management. And um, unlocking the talent and potential of your staff, that the people who are and supporting and empowering the people you are depending on to get all of this hard work done. You know, I, I think um, creating organization or team values that you follow, that you embody, that you um, um, aspire to work towards as a team that you dialogue over communicating, you know, over communication, meaning that you talk with each other and, and dialogue back and forth, um, creating a space where everybody feels respected, that you affirm your love for your BIPOC colleagues, you know, your people of color. Um, and, and you learn how to be a good mentor and learn how to pick good mentors. I, I think creating teams that do all those things are extremely highly effective um, teams, and they get their jobs done. And that's what that's what we need to get all these great initiatives and strat, you know, all, all this work done uh, to to scale it to get more than one to get it done quickly. Is is figuring is ensuring that you have great management, um, and you and that you is ensuring that you're you are a great manager, and, and that you are. Um, ensuring that the management is in structure is is working effectively. I think that's one of the most important things for getting all of this work done. So that's that's my perspective. Anthony, I I can't thank you enough. You know, uh, while you were you were speaking, I go back to us doing a, a collaborative uh, presentation at Greenbuilt several years back, and uh, I, I think it may have been at Waterbuilt. But, you know, for our audience here on Build for Impact, um, obviously, we've dialogued about a whole bunch of things. Um, and Anthony's really helped open your eyes and and uh, expanded your perspective on what we can do, what we can accomplish, and uh, what needs to be done. So please send us your comments, questions, and thoughts on future programs. Uh, I'm Daniel Heward, your host for Bill for Impact. Thank you again for watching.